0: Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God is among His people today. Do you believe that? I love this. Have you enjoyed singing in in multiple languages? I'll be honest, I double-checked my mic when we started in Spanish just to make sure I was turned off. I got a little work to do on my Spanish. I have loved it. I just, um, Jesus is for all men and women everywhere, everywhere, for the whole world. And the, the, the glory of Christmas, the story of Christmas is that this is a global Savior, doesn't matter what language you speak, where you're from, even what you've done. Jesus is for all men and women everywhere. What a beautiful start to our gathering. Do you remember this time in 2020? We were looking forward to the start of 2021. Ooh, And we had such high expectations for 2021. Higher expectations than I think we've had for any year in our history. We were going to wake up on January 1st, 2021, there was going to be no more COVID. You remember that? We were sure of it. No more masks. There would be no more COVID. Washington was going to have all of its stuff together. There was going to be no more political unrest or issues in Washington. We woke up. We were, we were planning on um, there being no racism in the planet. There was going to be no issues. On, on January 1st of this year, we were going to wake up and we were going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. January 1st, 2021. Now, There are 19 days remaining in this year of such high expectations. I don't think it's going to happen, guys. Not as we expected it to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I do hope you've had a good year. I hope it's been a blessing for you. We're already in December, and we're wrapping it up, and we're looking ahead. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I've got that family member and cousins and friends I just see kind of around this time of year. And since I don't get to see them through the whole year, they ask big sweeping questions like, How was your year, you know? And you got to kind of think about what 2021 was like for you. I actually really don't like thinking about the turn of the year until after Christmas. But in all honesty, Celine Dion keeps asking me a question that I can't avoid. And so I'm wrestling with the turn of the year. I bet you she's asked you the same question four times in the last two weeks. I'm driving in my car and here comes Celine Dion with this one. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over a new one just begun. Can you sing that in your head? Is she asking you the same question? I need to be like my friends and stream all of my music so I don't have to hear this every December on the radio. What have you done? Is what she asks. And when she asks me, I'm always like, Celine, who appointed you to hold us all accountable every year anyway? What have you done, Celine? And then I, um, I'm just wrecked because I, I can't avoid the question. And I'm the kind of person, you kind of get it, you can get to me pretty quickly. So I'll sit there and I'll just ponder for hours. What have I done? What did I do this year? Was it enough? Was it enough for my church that I love so much? Did I do enough for my family? What did I do? Did I do enough for my friends? Did I accomplish anything meaningful? Full disclosure I keep in my garage a box, cardboard box of all of my paper planners. Every year that I've written in a paper planner, because I have this imagination, I have this dream that someday I'm going to sit with my great grandkids. We're going to get all of those planners out. I'm going to tell them everything I did, all of my years, all of my life, and it's going to be meaningful. (laughs) Celine Dion says, what have you done? And now I'm, I'm asking you the question. I'm going to put the full weight of Celine Dion's accountability right on you right now. Here's the question, okay? What have you done? What was 2021 like for you? Did you accomplish everything you're supposed to accomplish? You know every app on your phone wants to answer this question for you. Let me just walk you through that. Your calendar app you go to, you open it up to see what you did, everything you scheduled out. Then you go to the messaging app to see who you did it with. Then you go to the travel app to see where you went and all the places that you did what you did. You go to your food app to see what you ate while you were there and if it was good food or not. You go to your music app to see what you were listening to throughout the year, and then some of you most importantly go to that bank app to see if you came out on top to really see how you did this year, if it was a good year or a bad year. And then the rest of us go one step forward to the social media apps to see if anyone cared about what we did this year, You see if it was worth posting about, and if people actually enjoyed it themselves. So what have you done in uh, this season, you're reflecting on a year, but here's what we'll find out. Even if you go through all your apps, we don't know how to reflect on a year. Do you know why we don't know how to reflect on a year? Because we've forgotten why we are here. So you can go through every app, every metric. You can read articles and blogs right now that will tell you how to reflect on 2021, but the problem is you can't reflect on a year if you don't know why you're here, if you don't know why you really exist, if you don't know what's most important in life. And so all of the writers right now are are giving you strategic ways to reflect on 2021 and strategic ways to plan for 2022, but they don't have the guts and they don't have the authority to tell you why you are actually here. So how can you reflect? How do you know what life's about? Enter Jesus, who has both the guts and the authority to tell you why you're here, to tell you what matters. We're in John 15 today, and we're continuing a series called I Am. The very point of the series is to hear all of Jesus' statements. They're paired with signs so that he could be the authority figure in our life to tell us who he is and who we are. I'll tell you why I say he's the one who's got the authority to say it. In John's gospel, John gives us seven signs of Jesus. Starts with Jesus changing water to wine in Cana. He tells us that Jesus healed a blind man. That Jesus fed over 5,000 people with just fish and a few loaves. That he raised Lazarus from the dead. We studied that last week. So enter Jesus who has proven himself, the authority in your life, to tell you why you are here. To actually cut through it all. And to give you your purpose in life. In our I am statement today, we're going to get something pretty new. He's going to give us an I am statement that reveals himself. And he's going to give us a you are statement. All right? The you are statement tells you who you are so that you can properly reflect on your year, so you can reflect on your day. What he's going to tell you is why 2021 was given to you in the first place. What he's going to tell you is what makes today matter in your life. And if he gives you tomorrow, it what, it's what makes tomorrow matter. And if God willing, he gives us 2022. It, it, what makes 2022 matter. Here's what he's going to say. And I'd like for us to stand for the reading of this word. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to read 12 verses in John 15. Here Jesus goes, cutting through all the smoke screens, all the anxiety, all the other pressures that you're experiencing. He's going to tell you what matters most. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, or pruned is the same word. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So here it is so clear I am the vine, you are the branches. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Final verse. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated no matter where you are. I hope you stood even in your living room. If you're joining us, you may be seated. So here he goes. He cuts through everything that's unimportant, all the distractions, all the pressures. Man, if you're like me, all the anxieties, all of the questions, he cuts through it all and he gives us a metaphor and a direct command. The metaphor of, of him being the vine and you being the branches points to loyalty. The direct command is about love. So here we have what life is all about loyalty to Jesus. Love for his disciples. Even a simple-minded man like me can walk out of here with two L words and know what's going on in life. Here it is. Loyalty and love. Loyalty and love. You don't have to be brilliant. You can walk out with that. Loyalty and love. That's what life is all about. The context of where he says this even seals the deal uh, further. So let me tell you what's going on in the Gospel of John. In John 15... Jesus has just wrapped up a meal, a very special meal with his disciples. He's eaten Passover with them. And as he ate the meal, he reconstituted it around himself. And he said, this bread represents my body and this this wine represents my blood. Before they left the meal, he got down on the floor, the the king of the universe, on the floor. And he washed each of his disciples' feet. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm modeling to you what love is like. They get up from that meal. and the last verse of chapter 14, you're going to see it says, come now, let us leave. So they're walking away from the upper room and they're headed towards Gethsemane. If you're a Bible student, you know that in Gethsemane is where Jesus laid down his life for us. Now you say that happened on the cross. I say, no, it happened in Gethsemane in prayer before it happened on the cross. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the will of the Father in prayer to die for you and for me. But they're not to Gethsemane yet. They're walking from the upper room to Gethsemane. And and most scholars agree that about this point in the journey, they're in front of the temple. That's significant because above and around the golden entrance to the temple, you would have found a vine. That vine represented Israel herself. The vine of Israel had a specific calling in the world to be fulfilled. Josephus tells us about the vine. Let me just read to you what he says. He says, The gate opening into it, the building, speaking of the temple, was completely overlaid with gold, as was the whole wall around it. It had, moreover, above it those golden vines from which depended grape clusters as tall as a man. So this vine represents Israel, and you'll you'll know that because God refers to Israel as the vine in his vineyard in multiple occasions in the Old Testament. You find it in Psalm 80. You'll see it in Isaiah 5, in Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Hosea, Israel being called the vine. If you were to look up each of those passages, we're not going to go through each of them today, there's going to be a common thread that you'll notice, that God is not pleased with the kind of fruit he's seeing on the vine. This is not David Hunziker slamming Israel. This is us taking a, a, a true and proper inventory that all men everywhere have failed in our calling. God says, I see you, Israel, as the vine in my vineyard. But when I look on you, I'm looking for certain fruit and I don't find it. Here's just one example Isaiah 5. He says this The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but what did he find? He saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but what did he find? Only cries of distress. This is the scene. Jesus, in front of a temple, on the temple is the vine. The vine represents Israel. Jesus says, I want everyone to know very clearly, I am the true vine. Meaning, I have accomplished or fulfilled everything that Israel was chosen to accomplish. Now, Gentiles like me are a little confused as to why I'm spending so much time on this. I'm actually about to spend a few minutes more. I'm going to tell you why this is so significant. Because everything that you are has to be given completely to Jesus and to nothing else in the world. If you, nothing else in the world. No man-made institution, not your own success, not your own efforts. Everything has to be given to him. Let me just keep going a little further on this argument. Jesus is the new Israel, accomplishing everything Israel failed to do. You can actually see that in the narrative of Jesus' life. Like Israel, he too came up out of Egypt. He fled there for safety as a, as a baby. Like Israel, he went through the water of baptism. His was in the Jordan. Israel parted the Red Sea and walked through. Like Israel, he went into the wilderness. He spent 40 days representing Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. In those 40 days, like Israel, he was tempted and tested and tried. But unlike Israel, he succeeded. He stood up to his tempter. He quoted the word of God. He remained faithful and obedient to God. So then when he returns to the promised land, that's Canaan's land, he returns as the legitimate vine, as the one true fruit-bearing source in the world that's actually created the fruit God is pleased by, that God was hoping to see in the world, fruit of true righteousness, fruit of true justice. You haven't done that. I have not done that. Israel has not done that. No other religion has done that. No other attempts in all of human history has done that. Jesus, this is the point, is the only one who pleases God. Therefore, if you also want to be pleasing to God, you must give your loyalty to Jesus. Okay, That's a, I'm actually even not done arguing that point. <laughs> It's such a significant one. If you're already checking out, come on, come back with me. All right, this is so significant. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to show you Paul's example of how this all plays out because you got to get this. You have to get this. You have to get this. Here we go, Philippians 3. Here's how this all plays out in the life of Paul. Paul says, I was once connected to the old vine that is Israel. I wasn't just connected. I was a prominent piece on that vine. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee, so I'm prominent. I, w- I was good with the law. I was faultless when it comes to keeping the law. Everything that I once was on the old vine, he says, I now consider lost when I met Jesus. The true vine. I consider it lost because it doesn't compare to knowing Christ. The next part of the verse, he says, I actually consider it Garbage. Because what I'm trying to do is not anymore have a righteousness of my own based on my own performance or human associations or connection with other things. I'm trying to have the righteousness that comes only by faith in Christ, by my loyalty to him. Now I have a righteousness that surpasses any other righteousness in the world. How does Paul know he's right with God? I'll tell you the answer. Because he's connected to the true vine. That's Jesus. I'll say it again. Jesus is the only one who pleases God. If you want to be pleasing to God, you must give your loyalty to Jesus. When you do so, Jesus promises fruit. That's beautiful. The kind of fruit he promises in John 15 ought not be limited to just one way of thinking. So in the scriptures, fruit refers to a few things. I want to share those with you because this is the result of your life Loyal to Jesus. All right? Here's the first kind of fruit that you'll read about. This is the fruit of actually growing in Christlikeness. It's the fruit of character. It's the fruit that you'll find in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you know, you could use a little bit more patience. Just confess that in your mind. You could use a little bit more patience right now. If you know you need peace in a chaotic world, just confess that right now to God. If you know that your joy has been lacking, we talked about this last week. You kind of just mentioned that to God between you and him. We know this is the kind of fruit that needs to be born into the world. Like what if we were gentle again? with each other, even gentle when we disagreed and patient with each other as we work through life together. How would that change the world? So the first fruit that will be born in your life is this kind of fruit. But that's not all of the fruit that's being mentioned in John 15. The other kind of fruit that's being mentioned is that of replicating yourself and even making more disciples. I I know that from John 4 because Jesus speaks about fruit in that way in John 4 when he says, look at the whole harvest in front of you The harvest being new disciples ready to be made in God's kingdom. So a lot of arguing right here. I'm trying to prove a few things. All right. Here's the thing I'm proving right now. That you can bear great fruit in your life of Christ's likeness and of many more disciples coming to Jesus if you will be loyal to Jesus, the true vine. So the question then, if I've done my job, on your mind, is how am I to be loyal to Jesus? If that's not the question you're asking join me at this part of the sermon and start asking that question, okay? How can I be loyal to Jesus? How can I deepen my loyalty to Jesus? And church whom I love so much, I just will encourage you and say, if you're truly asking that question right now and no preacher is trying to twist your arm, but if you're actually asking that, you're asking the most important question of your life. How can I deepen my loyalty to Jesus? How can I be a branch Connected to the vine, not separated, not an inch between us, no other loyalties begging my attention, nothing else in the way, no distractions, no unfruitfulness, no unrighteousness. That's an amazing question. I want to give you a few practical things we can do to deepen our loyalty to Jesus. Here's the first thing, and Jesus actually mentioned this in his language in John 15, be washed by the word. So this language necessarily includes that we'll be readers of the Word of God. But it doesn't limit itself to that. This is being washed. so It's it's, it's choosing regularly to read the Word, but it's also explaining the posture by which we receive Word from God. You can read the Word of God one way, James says, where you look at it like it's a mirror, you notice a spot on your face and you walk away and you don't clean the spot on your face. There's another way to read the Word of God where real change occurs in your life. So when Jesus uses the word washed, he's, he's using the same word for pruning that you'll see a little early in John 15. The idea of you being pruned is this. grapevines vines grow quite a lot of unnecessary shoots and, 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 and uh, branches. So a part of you, there's quite a lot of growth that's unfruitful growth. That's unnecessary growth. And a really good vine dresser knows that every spring he would come in there with some shears, not to cut the branch off but to just clip all of those unfruitful growth that's coming off of you so that you can be more focused, more fruitful that your life can be about what what really matters this is about cutting from your life anything that's unrighteous, that's unholy that's distracting and, and kind of participating in this pruning process you know this though the distance between you And the Word can literally be but a few inches in your house, physically. But miles and miles away, spiritually. And you guys know this. We can distance ourselves over time from the reading of the Word of God. I'll tell you why that happens. Because your great spiritual enemy has a particularly key strategy, and that is just to keep you from the word of God on a regular basis. In the the parables of Jesus, we know that he does that at least these three ways. Satan wants to keep you uninterested in the word. Satan wants to take you through hard times where you suffer and thus lose your faith and confidence in the word. And then this, most fittingly for American Christians, he wants to concern your mind most with prosperity So that you think about your other master, money, and not about your master, Jesus. So all of these strategies of Satan means you can literally be in your house, be but a few inches away from the word, and not be reading it regularly, and definitely not be reading it as one who's seeking to change. But let me encourage you in that with this statement. It's better to bleed on the vine, to go through some pruning, if you will, than to wither on the ground. It's better to bleed on the vine. It's better just to open it up and say, cut me again today, Lord. Cut me again. Take away from me anything that's unfruitful, unrighteous, unholy, unproductive. I uh, have a deep sense of love and admiration for Nancy Robb. All right, if you uh, are a North Boulevard member and you've been around for a while, you probably know who Nancy Robb is. Nancy and Glenn, she's pictured with Glenn here. Nancy and Glenn uh, launched The West Campus, and right now I get the privilege of leading the West Campus, so I'm indebted to this couple and their labors. If you know Nancy, you know she loves the Lord. She bears the fruits of righteousness in her life. She's patient. She's gentle. She's committed to truth. She's loving. She's kind. If you know her, you love her. But maybe more importantly, if you know Nancy, you know she loves you because that's the kind of fruit she bears. I'll tell you, if you want to be like Nancy, you got to read like Nancy. you got to read like Nancy. She's faithful in the Word of God. I've been talking to her in the last 18 to 20 months or so, and she's spent more of her time at home than in any other season of her life due to the pandemic. And as we've been talking, I've been talking back and forth about how's your day? and What are you experiencing? How are you spending your time? You know how she spends her time? She starts in the morning with the passage, opening up the Word of God, Let the pruning begin. Let the the word just kind of wash over her. She reads a passage. And through the remainder of the day, she's meditating on these questions. The same questions she keeps in front of her. The first one is, what am I learning about God from this passage? The second one is, what am I learning about people and myself in this? And then here comes the pruning question. Ready? Ready? How is Nancy going to change? Because I've read this today. In my last texting conversation with her, I I made sure to get permission to mention her. She does not want you to worship her. She's probably embarrassed right now if you're watching this, Nancy. I love you and I'm sorry. I'm not trying to to put a person on a pedestal. I'm trying to put a practice on a pedestal, if you will. I'm trying to show you what her practice is like. So um, she reads, she asked herself, how am I going to change today? And in my last texting conversation with her, she mentioned, she said, you just don't know. She said, I'm in sweet fellowship with God and I have Changed so much. I've changed so much. She said, I just, I'm I'm never going to outgrow changing. That's the way God is treating me right now. You and I have the opportunity to be washed by the Word of God. That third question is an important one. After reading this, how can I be different? What needs to be cut away from my life? What do I need to be doing to be a a more loyal follower of Jesus? The second thing that you're going to to see in this text is that we got to commit to being devoted to Christ's disciples. You got to be devoted to the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, in your small group, in your congregation, people that you know who are followers of Jesus Christ. My command is this, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. That's so straightforward. Love each other. Paul goes on with this kind of language. He says, be devoted to one another. So a little practical help here. Y'all know that 2022 is going to fill up quickly on you. All of the spots on your calendar are already probably being, being fought for. And 2022 is filling up so rapidly. You have this really hard task. And here's the hard task. You've got to sit down with your calendar and convince your calendar that you love disciples of Jesus. That's hard to do. Like if your calendar would talk, if my calendar could talk, would it be like, David, you're just fooling yourself. I'm not seeing on here that you truly love disciples of Jesus. I want to give you a few ways to just think about that. How can we we go ahead and get ahead of 2022 and make sure that we love one another? The first thing I would say is plan meals with each other regularly. So go ahead and fill up spots in 2022 with meals together, with time together, before it gets consumed by everything else, meetings and job opportunities and trips and conferences. The second thing is schedule small group time and be faithful to it. So if you're in the holiday season, you're kind of inconsistent, this is that time where you reach out to the small group and say, guys, let's, let's regroup. Let's schedule a time for 2022 and let's commit to it and be faithful to it. All right? The third thing is book that retreat and do it quickly. All right? You've been wanting to get away with your small group or maybe you have a few friends in, in the faith. You're just like, we just need some, a weekend together. Go ahead and book it. Because you know everything's competing for your calendar right now in 2022. And the other thing I'm going to say is leave white space on the calendar for each other. If I were you, I would carve out certain days, certain weeks, and I would make sure nothing fills them up so that when you get that phone call from a friend in the faith, when you get that text, you can respond with, hey, I'm coming over right now. I'm available to you. I'll be there. You know, it could be somebody that's just gotten ill could be someone who has a particular need god forbid it could be a friend who needs your help moving right and you get to respond with i've actually created time for people that i love i didn't overbook myself i'll be right over that's a powerful text among the people of god i'm open to you i didn't cram myself too full for people that i love Okay, 2022 is coming, so go ahead and get ahead on this. Let's get on our calendars. And then here's the third way. I'm just talking practically about how you can be a loyal follower of Jesus. Save Sunday for Jesus, guys. I'm sounding really old school for the next five minutes, but just go there with me. Save Sunday for Jesus. If I could start a hashtag revolution, it would be hashtag Save Sunday. Because right now Sunday's under attack. Employers are creeping into it. Coaches are creeping into Sunday. Friends are creeping into Sunday. Everybody's trying to claim your Sunday space. I'll tell you, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning while it was early, while it was still dark. And historically, followers of Jesus Christ saw that as as an opportunity to prove some loyalty in Jesus. I'm going to give my Sunday to the Lord, the full day to him. I'm going to be with his people. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm doing what he would have me do on that Sunday. I'm abiding in him on Sunday. But it's being competed for. Right? We all understand that. Everything is competing for your Sunday. So... I could ask this question. Jesus rose for you on Sunday. Did football do that? Oh, don't get quiet on me. Come on, church. Jesus rose from you on Sunday. Did your boss do that? No, your boss didn't do that. Now, I know um, some of you just need to be where you need to be on Sundays. You you take care of people. You you have an urgent need that you need to meet in our society. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath, and he was kind of dissed for that. So some of you have a particular place you need to be, and I'm not bashing that. But let me just speak to the congregation of the Lord's people. Can you save your Sundays? Let me give you a short list on saving Sundays. All right? The importance. First, tell your coach Sundays are for Jesus. I don't know who's squirming, right? I'm some, like, 12-year-old baseball player that's just feeling really attacked. All right? But you can tell your coach, hey, Sundays are for Jesus. I want you to know that. Even if you're young... If your coach is being characterized by creeping into your God time, look him in the eyes. You can look a grown-up in the eyes and say, I want you to know I've dedicated my Sundays for Jesus. Number two, worship even while you're traveling. So you'll have certain trips and vacations and things planned. That's just a certainty about 2022. One of the sweet things you can do is while you're away, get up on Sunday morning, go down to the beachfront or to the mountain or whatever it is that you're traveling to do, and carve out time and worship with your family or friends right there on your vacation. You can go to northboulevard.com slash live and worship with us anywhere you are while you travel. You can still carve out Sunday. You can still save it. And here's a sweet practice I remember as a, as a kid. You can be away, Orlando, Florida. Still, you're, you're over that weekend. You're going to be in Orlando because you're traveling. You can go into a congregation of the Lord's people. Sit with people you don't know. They're your brothers and sisters. They're just meeting in a different place. So you can sit with brothers and sisters you don't know. You can sit under the teaching of a a preacher. Take notes. Meet people out in the foyer. You can tell them, hey, people don't vacation in Murfreesboro where I'm from. We vacation here. So I'm with you guys this Sunday. You can still carve out your Sunday. You can still say Sunday's for the Lord. Number three, don't stay up late Saturday night. Why? Because you won't be really ready for Sunday. You won't be refreshed for Sunday. That means you're going to have to look Netflix in the face and say, I'll give you until 10 p.m. I'm not going to give you any further. And then do your projects on Saturday and be present on Sunday. Be present with your scriptures. Be present with the church. This sounds really old school, doesn't it? And for some of you, it sounds like way too much. It's like that, that kind of loyalty. I have a story for you. If this seems like too much, here's a story for you. In Matthew Bates' book, Gospel Allegiance, He introduces the book and the concept of of deep loyalty to Jesus by telling the story of Hiro Onoda. Hiro Onoda is a Japanese soldier born on March 19, 1922, in a small village called Kamikawa. Onoda joined the Imperial Japanese Army Infantry as soon as he turned 18 years old. As soon as he could, he joined the infantry. It was the time of World War II, and Onada was sent for a campaign in the Philippines in 1944. The Philippines was a US colony. Onada and his team walked into the domain of the enemy in 1944. He walked into a mission that would change his life forever. Three orders were given to this soldier and his team. The first order do everything you can to stop the advance of the enemy. The second order do not get caught. And the third, do not commit suicide. The United States and the Philippines Commonwealth Army had complete control of the place. So everyone except Onada and his three team members perished or they gave up. But not Onada and his three friends. They retreated into the forest and into the hills. By August of 1945, Imperial Japan had surrendered. And the world breathed a sigh of relief as the war came to an end. But not Onada. He was in the mountains of Lubang Island, and he had no access to the outer world, and therefore no idea that the world war war had ended. He continued launching guerrilla attacks on police stations and other enemy posts. He performed his duties to the very best of his ability, like a true soldier. In October 1945, Onoda and his team found a leaflet that had been dropped from some planes. The leaflet said these words, "'The war ended on August 15, come down from the mountains.'" But they thought the leaflet was propaganda, that it was an attempt just to lure them out so they could be ambushed. They stayed in the mountains. Toward the end of the same year, more leaflets were dropped continually, begging them to come out. Some of the leaflets with pictures, with write-ups about the ending of the war, but they didn't believe any of them. They thought they were propaganda. His friends, starting with Akatsu, was the first one to surrender in 1949, The surrender of Akatsu actually broke trust among the other friends. It was disheartening to them. Another of his friends, Shimada, was actually killed by enemy forces in 1954. You're noticing these dates. A third soldier, Kazuka, was killed by police in 1972. So, Inada was now alone. But his spirits didn't weaken, and he was not deterred. One would imagine that forces against him would have eventually caught him. But he was found by Norio Suzuki. Norio Suzuki was an adventurer and a world traveler. He had three ambitions in life he wanted to find a panda in the wild, he wanted to find a Yeti, the abominable snowman, and he wanted to find this legendary soldier, Onada. He did find a panda. He did find Onada. He died trying to find the abominable snowman in an avalanche. He found Onada in the jungle, tracing his steps and where he was hiding and how he was making camp. And when he found him, he begged him to come back to Japan. The war is over. You've been here now for 30 years. When he found Onada, he found him in his tattered uniform with his samurai sword and the rifle that he had given, with just a little bit of ammunition left and some grenades hiding out, doing the very best he could as a soldier. Suzuki said, come on, come on back to to Japan. Onada said, "I, I will never go. Not until my commanding officer tells me I'm done with my duty. So Suzuki went back to Japan. He found the commanding officer of Onada, who was a bookseller at the time, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi. He brought Taniguchi to the jungle, where 30 years later Taniguchi looks at Onada in the face and he says, Onada, I officially relieve you of your duties. Then and only then Onada came and he surrendered to the president of the Philippines. He laid down his samurai sword. He was brought back to Japan as a hero of heroes. That he would be that, get this, loyal. For Onada, life was about loyalty. Some have argued, did he waste it? No, I think he's expanded our definition of what loyalty really means. If a Japanese commanding officer could command 30 years of Onada's life, you know why I'm telling you this story? You can hashtag save Sunday. You can. You can abide in him. You can be devoted to his disciples. You can wash in the word and be pruned. You can give yourself to Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our commanding officer who's given us a uniform, who's given us a battle, and he says, if you would remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. There's a quote attributed to Dwight L. Moody. I don't know if he was the one who originated the quote, but this is how it goes. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, Moody said, I aim to be that man. Is there anyone under the voice of my teaching Who would like to try? Who would like to try? Who would like to say, I'm going to become fully devoted, fully loyal to see what kind of fruit God would bear in the world. What kind of righteousness he would produce in me, what kind of disciples, the joy that I would have, Jesus says, the effective prayers, the communion with God, the center of his will if I'm just fully consecrated to him. Would you stand for one more word from the Lord? We're going to just wrap up with the reading. From the very beginning of this chapter, cut through all of it. This is what life is about. You are a branch. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we can help you come to him and abide in him today, you can come and find us in the front or in the back. Let's worship Jesus, whom we love.